Now, as, as I was sharing with Brother Larry uh, earlier, you know, you may, you may wonder uh, with, with a sermon series uh, called Heroes, you know, what, what am I up here preaching to you about uh, the person that you're fixing to hear about? Because I'm going to preach to you today on one of my heroes, and her name is Hannah. Her name is Hannah. We think of heroes always as those people, you know, David who killed the giant. Samson, who was so strong. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who, who evangelized the whole world. Joseph, who saved his entire nation from death and, and captivity. But this lady is just as much a hero as they are. She didn't have those things happen in her life, but she had something just as important. And because of her tenacity and her faith in God, there was a spiritual enemy that was killed in her life, and great things were brought forth into the kingdom of God. Through her, the entire kingdom of God and the entire world, actually, at that time was changed. She had a profound impact, not only on her realm of influence, but in, in, in the entire universe, and even today, okay? Her story, we'll see in a second, goes beyond brokenness and barrenness to fruitfulness and to joy. She travels from the pit of despair, if you would, to the fullness of repair, from despair to repair. Her story is really a pretty simple story. It's not real complicated, but it's so compelling and it's so applicable to all our lives because we've all walked in some form of despair. We've all traveled where she's traveled before. I know in our life personally, y'all have heard my testimony, our testimony many times. Uh, maybe that's why I wanted to start with her because, because I can identify with her and so can June because we got married real late and then seven years of wanting to have a child, just like Hannah, and crying out, even not even saved, not knowing the Lord, just crying. I remember taking showers and crying in the shower and saying, I want a son, I want a son, and y'all have heard my testimony. And then at almost 40 years old, God giving us a son, Caleb, who is right up here leading us in, in, in worship today. So I can really identify with where she was emotionally and spiritually in all of these areas, okay? We've all felt, each one of us, the, the hold of despair in our lives. And we've searched with all of our strength and with all of our power to try to get out of that pit of despair. We've tried to overcome it both, both in our strength and spiritually in any other way. Now, let me, let me give you a little history here of this story. It takes place during the years 1335 to 1090 B.C., now, this was near the close of the judges, of the period or time of judges in Israel, and just prior to the time of the monarchies, where monarchies took over. Remember where the people said, God, we want a king, and God sent them King Saul. So it was right before that. It was a period in, in Israel of spiritual decline, and the country was spiritually just wandering in idol worship and, 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 and false god worship, Okay directed by self-indulgence and decay. So in the midst of this, this story takes place. Now, Hannah's husband, his name was Elkanah, and he had two wives. He had Hannah, and then he had another wife. They lived about 
uh, five miles uh, uh, north of Jerusalem, okay? He was a Levite, belonged to the priestly tribe of, of, of Levi, okay? Now, although he had two wives, I want to make a note here to you. Please understand, you're saying two wives. A lot of these cats in the Old Testament, they had two wives. That was never God's plan. You look in Genesis, that was tolerated only because of their hearts. God's plan was always one man, one woman. I want to straighten that out right off, okay? Now, Hannah is mentioned first in this story. And there's a law in the Bible, the law of first mentioned, which applies here. So because she was mentioned first, more than likely, she's probably the older of the two wives. The younger wife, her name is Peninnah. And she's the wife that has children for the husband. Hannah doesn't have any children. She's the first wife, probably older, and she can't have children. And, and we know how that feels to, to be barren, to not to, to wonder why me, what's, what's wrong here. And the younger one has the children. The story says in the Bible that she had several children. And I believe that possibly this is why he married the younger one, simply to have children. Look at Abraham and Sarah. Because in that day in particular, you wanted a son to carry your name on, and you wanted children to take care of the mama. Because there was no Social Security, there was no law, uh, as in Louisiana and the United States, where the wife inherited everything. She did not. If there were not children there, if there weren't sons in place to take care of your wife, she was destitute. And many times ended in poverty out on the street, trying to fend for herself. So we have something going on here. Now, he was a very godly man, and he led his family, even in the midst of what was going on in Israel, he led them spiritually in spite of what was happening all around him. And every year he would travel, he would go to a place called Shiloh. Shiloh was about 20 miles north of Jerusalem, about 15 miles from Ramah, or Ramah where they lived. And it was up north of Jerusalem in the hill country, okay? So in, as we read in a second, you say, she went up. That means literally went up as though we would travel from here to Opelousas or to Alexandria heading north. And every year he would go for the three required feasts that every Jewish man would have to go to. And he would take his family there in Shiloh. Shiloh was where they had the tabernacle, the temple, the place of worship, the main headquarters. And that's where the priest was, the high priest. His name was what? Eli. Okay? Eli. Eli had two sons there who were his helpmates or his assistant high priests, if you would. They were the wicked sons, if you remember. And we'll get to that next week. Okay? We see in this story, it also says that Elkanah provided for the younger wife and her sons and daughters, but he also provided for Hannah, and this strange thing happened. It says he gave Hannah a double portion, a double portion, and it says because of his deep love for her. Now, irregardless of the love and the provision that her husband was giving her. The story says that Hannah's life was filled with feelings of inferiority. I can imagine walking around, not imagine, I lived it, wondering what's wrong with me, why am I barren, with a sense of failure, 
of almost shame, like everybody's looking at you and making jokes about you because you don't have any children. And then to make things worse, in the same household is this, I'm guessing, younger, probably voluptuous, probably childbearing age sister wife, if you would call her. And this other young lady in the house, his other wife, is constantly taunting and constantly picking on Hannah and making fun of her when no one's watching. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't y'all? We're going to see what we do at this one because, you know, I'm the one with the sons. I gave him the sons. Yeah, yeah, old lady, has no children, ha, ha, ha. You know, just picking on her and taunting her the whole time. And scripture says that there was something going on. I mean, there was a, there was a place here. And, and then no less in her own house. The story says, scripture says, that, that the, the Penana, the younger one, was Hannah's rival. There was a, a, a rivalry. There was a thing going on there, even in her own house. Now, if you notice in scripture... Very often, scenes like this where there's misery, doom, and gloom, and despair are places where God has a grounds to perform a miracle. Come on, y'all catching it. Y'all way ahead of me. A miracle can happen in a mix like this. The older, barren lady, wife, whose husband obviously loves her, and the younger, provoking, taunting wife who gave him children, okay? who never missed a chance to point out, to insult Hannah whenever she could. Now, as I was preparing for this, the Holy Spirit gave me a mental picture of this. In our own homes, very often, in our own homes, don't our, doesn't our adversary, doesn't our rival, doesn't those people who would want to taunt us, doesn't that come even into our own home? Come on, be honest. You know it does. If it doesn't happen physically, sometimes it happens mentally. And the devil starts taunting us and saying, what about you? Your kids aren't as good as their kids. How about you? You don't have what that person has. You'll never make it. You'll never, and it happens even in our own homes, just as it did right there with Hannah. You'll never reach your goals. You're less than they are because of your children. Look at your kids. They're not as good as their kids. You don't have children. Now, with this scene that's been set Turn in your Bibles or look up on the screens uh, or in your, on your devices, whichever. And we're going to read. We're going to start in verse 7 because I want to I teach you today how Hannah, how she dealt with her despair. And she went from despair to the joy of repair. And I want you all to catch this because I want it to apply to your life. And I want you to use this in your life the next time that you have that going on in your home. Verse 7, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. The younger one provoked Hannah. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? That word there, heart grieved, applies to the same word in verse 18 we fix into read, being sad. Why is your heart so sad? And that word actually in Hebrew is ra'ah. It means bad, not sad. It means envious, resentful, and begrudging. So why has your heart turned bad, Hannah? Am I not better to you than ten sons? 
I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry about this. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorstep of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in, there it is again, bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, first time that's ever used in scripture, O Lord of hosts, circle that, underline that in your mind, remember that, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget me and give me a male child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon him. He would be a Nazarite. That's an order, a Jewish order, the Nazarites. They still have them today. You see them, they don't cut their beards. They're long and scraggly and everything else because it's a sign of devotion and they devote their entire lives to the work in the temple and to the Lord. And she said, I'll bring him back and I will give him to you as a Nazarite. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, the high priest, was watching her. And she was praying and no words were coming out of her mouth and Eli, the high priest, the great spiritual man, thought she was drunk. So he looks at her. He says, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away, lady. And Hannah answered to him, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine or intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Don't consider your maidservant a wicked woman, but out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken Two key words here. Look, two key words. Until now. Until now. Until now. I don't know if that's up on the screen for you all to see, but that's where I'm at. Until now. My complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. So, O Lord of hosts, and until now. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, no longer in mourning and fasting and grief and bitterness and rivalry, but she ate. And her face was no longer raha. It was no longer grievous. It was no longer sad. It was no longer envious. It was no longer bitter. All of a sudden, her face had changed. Then they rose early in the morning, worshiped the Lord, and returned home. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called him Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Actually, literally, Samuel means the name of the Lord. Now, the man Elkanah and all of his house went up to worship to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice, went up to Shiloh again, but Hannah looks at her husband and says, no, no, I'm not going to go. Please allow me to stay here with Samuel until he is weaned, and then when he is weaned, I will bring him up, and I will consecrate him. I will dedicate him. I will give him back to the Lord. Verse 23, so Elkanah said, do what seems best to you. Wait till you've weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Let the Lord establish his word. And then the woman Hannah stayed and nursed her son until he was weaned. And when she had weaned him, she took him up, went north to Shiloh 
with offerings that, by the way, just to let you know, were more than what you legally had to, had to offer in those days. Three bulls, flour, skins of wine, and brought him to the house of Shiloh, and the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, the priest. And she said, listen to this, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord, to God, capital L. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me by petition which I asked of him. Therefore, listen, therefore I also have lent. King James, New King James says lent. Actually, that's translated given. So I have given him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be given to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. How did Hannah repair her despair? First of all, she recognized her bitter place, her bitter place. She got a revelation of what had happened in her heart. So Elkanah said, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why are you, why are you so mad and sad and, and, and bitter? What's going on here? Am I not better than ten sons? And she prayed to the Lord. And she said, consider your maidservant. Don't consider me a wicked woman. Uh, but then it says, my complaint and grief. Remember I said, watch this. And I have spoken until now. Until now. You see, I believe that in the process of her husband asking her this question, I believe it rattled her cage a little bit. I believe that when he went up to her and said, wife, you know how much I love you. You know that I will provide for you. You got to get a grip on this. This is eating you up. This competition and this rivalry that's going on here. Does that sound familiar with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar? This thing that's going on here. Yes, she has children. But you, but you, Hannah, are the love of my life. And you've got to stop this because it's changing you. And the sweet person with the good pure heart that I married is now turning into a dried up resentful hateful person and I think God rattled her cage with that a little bit and she said until now and then she prayed to the Lord she realized the state that she was in now have any of us ever been there it's okay right now it'd be a good time to raise your hand say I have because I know I have. I know for a fact that I have. In that situation, in that circumstance that's depressing you, dragging you down, that place of barrenness in your life, that empty place in your life that you have to deal with, that place of despair where you say it's just not fair. What's going on here? And then the Holy Spirit confronts you about your envious, resentful ways. And it can turn into bitterness. And then, like they say, then, Houston, we got problems then. 
you've got bigger problems than the despair and bitterness, okay? Until now, she says, after that point, that was the, the crossroads, the turning point. Listen to me, listen to me. Until you realize that you've become that dried up, bitter, angry, jealous, envious person, you will never be in a place to change. You will continue to be tormented by your rival, by your enemy, and you will wonder and you will, you will go around saying, why them? Why do they prosper and not us? Lord, why is that church so much bigger and more prosperous than here? You know, Lord, my age, I was 56 when we started this church, Lord. Oh, why, Lord, did I have to wait seven years for a son? Why isn't this place packed out and we have these giant, like all these big, beautiful churches around here and everything else? And it would be very easy to get caught up in that as a pastor. It would be very easy to get caught up in it as a parent or as a neighbor where you are being possessed by the situation and that barren place, that empty place in your life, whether it's children, whether it's something that you're dealing with in your life, whatever it is, finances, health, whatever it is, but you can't allow that to happen. I remember before I was a Christian, and I remember very well, very often in, in, in the shower. Y'all know that God speaks to me in the shower. I've already confessed that. How many shower speak uh, hearers we got in here? Come on, raise your hand. Oh, quite a few. Good. Thank you. I don't feel like I'm a weirdo. Okay. All right. And I would go and weep. I would cry. A grown man, railroad engineer. All I want is a son. I want a son. And I would start thinking about people with children who abused their children or people who did just treated their kids. They would, because I'd hear about it on the railroad. People who would just, they would just, I mean, beat their kids around and they would talk to them ugly and demean. And I'd say, why do you give them those children? What's the deal? And I was having to deal with my heart. You see, I didn't realize it, but my heart was rotten. I wasn't any better than they were. Secondly, not only did she come to a realization of her bitter state, she recognized and surrendered to God's sovereign will. And if you do that, you can leave that place of despair in your life. Verse 11 and 15, she made a vow and said to the Lord, if you will look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and forget me, I'll give you that male child back as a Nazarite. I haven't had any wine or drink, but I poured out my soul to the Lord. And then she says this, and I think this is another key point right here. She says, oh, Lord of hosts, oh, Lord of hosts, oh, Lord of hosts. Do you all know what that means? That means that she, I'm messing up my little deal here. That means that she was acknowledging God as not only the creator, but the Lord of the heavens, of the angels, of the armies in heaven, that he was the Lord of the sky, of the universe, of the stars, of the moon, of the sun, and all of the galaxies. And she was saying, you are the God of all that, and I am but a speck. And she was recognizing and surrendering the sovereign will of God. She was saying you are God, and I am not. Say it with me. Say, God is God, and I am not. And the sooner you settle that, the better off you're going to be. 
He's in control, and you're not. And she says, oh, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, if you bless me with this son, I will give him right back to you. She basically surrenders to the sovereign will of God. She's petitioning God and dedicating her son back. Now listen to me. Listen to me, dear ones. Listen to me. No matter what barren place you're in, no matter what emptiness you're facing in your life, no matter what place of despair that you may be in right now in your life, whether it's financial, physical, relational, emotional, whatever it is, your recovery starts. It starts by realizing what, where you are and how your heart is looking at it, and then surrendering to the will of God. You've got to see where your heart is. Is my heart good in this, or am I bitter? Am I mad? Am I angry? Am I... And then you've got to repent of that if it is bad, and you've got to submit and surrender and recognize the sovereign will of God. God is God, and I am not. He sees your plight. He sees your heart. He loves you, and he knows more than you do what's best for you. More than your own desires can dictate. How many of you know that your desires can control you? They can dictate your entire life. Would I, would I have continued to serve the Lord? And go on to be in the ministry and to do his will if he had not sent Caleb to us. You see, that's the test. It comes down to pride and humility. Pride says, I want to be in control. Humility says, he's in control. And it comes down to that. And my hero, Hannah, understood that. And she went through that. Okay? I remember crying out for a son just like Hannah literally crying many times in tears. And until that night that I gave my life to the Lord and surrendered it to God, nothing happened. Of course, you know the end of our story. After I realized who I was and who he was and gave my life to him and we prayed, the evidence was leading us in worship today. Thirdly, Hannah rested and waited in faith. She waited and rested in faith. Eli answered, go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition which you've asked. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. It wasn't bad. It wasn't envious. It wasn't jealous anymore. And they rose early and worshiped the Lord and returned home. And she had a son. A completely different countenance, a completely different heart, a peace in her heart, a living faith, if you would, that was lived out in her life. And she had already made plans for her son. She knew what she was going to do when God gave her that son. 
what had happened? There's a couple of things that I think happened. First of all, I believe that when Eli spoke to her, I think there was a spark of hope there. I think that he basically was prophesying to her. And he was saying, the Lord grant your request. And when she heard that, I think she took it down deep into her spirit as a prophecy. Have you ever been there? Has someone ever spoken to you and said, Go in peace because God's got something good for you. Have you ever had that in your life? Have you ever had someone tell you something and you go, whoa, look at this? Have you ever opened the Bible and read a passage and it just jumps off the page at you? And all of a sudden, it's you. It's talking to you in your situation, into your place of barrenness, into your empty place, your despair. Have you ever had that in your life? Raise your hand if that's happened. Okay, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That happened to Hannah, and Eli was the one. He was the instrument. He said, God, grant you your request. And I think that brought hope, and hope is cousins to faith. And when you have hope like that, you say, hold on here. I got something that's going to carry me on in this, and I will have peace, and I will, have, I will just walk this out. I remember after that night praying for a child. And I remember believing God for a child, for a son. And Brother Larry Gates saying, go and buy something for him. We already had the name Caleb. We were studying in our, in our Tuesday night Bible study. I remember that we went to the country mart, to the little, to the little place, and we bought, I should have brought them today, pretty cutest little blue what do you call those little baby shoes? Booties. Booties. Yeah, they're made out of cloth. You know, they're like knitted or whatever. We still have them today in a little plastic box. And we put them up on the counter. She wasn't pregnant, but there was Caleb's little shoes. And we waited. I just remember waiting. I called my brother and I said, we're going to have a son. He said, oh, congratulations. When did she do? I said, well, she's not due yet. He said, well, how do you know she's going to have a son? I said, because God's word tells me so. And someone told me that. Larry Gates had told me. And I had hope. And within months, she was pregnant. And he's sitting right back there today. You see, I can identify with Hannah. She's my hero. Because she hung in there and she waited on God. She had a revelation of his divine uh, purpose and, and of his sovereignty and she repented of her ugly ways and I'll never forget the morning we were doing these is it, I'm going to kind of get personal you, you know how you have those pregnancy tests that you take and, 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 and we did that one Sunday and June says I, I think I might be expecting I might be pregnant and we were just I remember we were dancing kind of like the like the, the icy woods dance like with cold cuts. Oh, we're going to have a baby. We were dancing. And then I said, oh, Lord, we've been let down. How many of you have been there just let down so many times? You know, we said, oh, I don't want to get too excited. We wait till Monday. We're going to the doctor. And so I didn't tell anybody. So we went, we went to church. And we went to church that Sunday. And we already had the name Caleb. And I was standing near the front of the church after the service. I'll never forget. And this Little bitty boy about that high, cutest little kid you've ever seen with straight blonde hair. Kind of looked like a miniature version of Christopher. He was about that high. And he walked up all dressed up with his little shirt and his pants. And, and, 
and he, he was tugging on my sport coat like this. And he was tugging on my sport coat. And I was talking, you know, big, trying to be very pastoral and all that stuff. You know, he's tugging on my, on my sport coat. And I turned around and I looked and there he was, this little bitty kid like that. And he looks up at me with this big grin. And I said, hey, buddy. I said, what's your name? And he goes, Caleb. Ho, 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 ho. It was all over but the diapers. told June I said June you're not going to believe this I said he came up and tugged and that was Caleb Rizard Preston and Juanita's son never met him before and sure enough Monday morning the doctors gave us the wonderful news about our son Caleb lastly she remembered her part in her petition she didn't forget God y'all excuse me this is emotional for me she didn't forget God she went and she exalted God. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted. And she remembered her part. She went and she brought her son, her gift, back to God. She remembered her part in the petition. She remembered what she told God. She didn't forget, like Burt Reynolds in that movie, when he was drowning. 60%, Lord, if you save me. As he got closer to shore, 50%, Lord. 40%, when he touched the sand, it got down to 30%. When he got on the beach, I think he was down to about 1%. She remembered what she told the Lord when she was in the deep water, in a place of despair, in the pit of despair, when she was drowning and her sorrow and envy and grief and despair. And she took her son. Just as we did. And she gave him back to God. You see. She's a hero of mine. She became satisfied from the inside out, and it changed her, instead of being satisfied from the outside in. She never turned from the God, the Lord of hosts, and then she thanked him by keeping her word and worshiping him even with her most prized possession, her only son. You see, we can identify with her because we have one son. His name could be Samuel. Same story. How many of you here today, either today or have been recently in a place of despair? Raise your hand. Be, be honest, raise your hand. A place of despair. Why me, Lord? This isn't right. Why do they always seem to get the... What, what's going on here? You know, come on, God. You know, I, I read your word. I pray every day. You know, you tell me I tithe. I'm a tither, Lord. And what, what's going on here? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in this pit. And it's right here in my own house. It's with me. And I can't... Come on, raise your hand. Be brave. That's the first step. 
You know the second step? We just went over them. The second step is say, let me examine my heart. How am I dealing with this? Because my heart is more important than the place I'm at. My heart is more important than the situation. And I have to deal with my heart. I've got to make that right because if I don't get past that, I'm stuck in the mud. And then I've got to surrender it to Almighty God and say, God, this is, this is bigger than me. This thing in your life, is, it's bigger than me. And I've got to surrender it to you, Lord God. I, I mean, that's all there is to it. Okay? And then you've got to go beyond that. You got to wait on him. How many of you in here have been waiting for a while? Raise your hand. <laughs> I have a dear friend who waited for his wife for 14 years to know the Lord. Some of you in here might be single and saying, "Hey, I I want a wife." Examine your heart, surrender to God and wait on him. And see what he does. Because he loves you and he knows what you need. And he will bring forth that provision in your life. Hannah's a hero of mine. You say, what's he doing preaching on Hannah? Well, do you see now why she's a hero of mine? 